Well, good evening to you all. Um, if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, this is my text this evening. It's not the text that's on your uh, handout. Pastor Clint got uh, delayed uh, out of town, and, and so uh, I'm preaching this evening, last-minute style. My text is Romans 3. Uh, I'm going to read verses 21 to 26, and then I'm going to read one verse from Romans 8. So Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then Romans 8 and just verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, indeed, you are a gracious and loving God. We give you praise this evening for who you are and how you have shown your love towards sinners such as us through the life, death, and resurrection of your own dear Son, and how that salvation is applied even by your Holy Spirit who indwells all believers in Jesus Christ. May Christ be lifted up and placarded even this evening through the preaching of the Word. May we see Him, may we love Him, may we realize how great a salvation this is, how costly a redemption this is, and how worthy is the Lamb of all of our praise, all of our trust, all of our obedience. I pray that you would do a great work in hearts and that you will deal with sinners this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. What is good about Good Friday? Why did the Son of God become a man, Jesus Christ, and why did He die on a cross? Why did He die on a cross? You know, if a, if a man rushed up to you as you walked outside this church and said, look, I'll show you how much I love you, and then that man threw himself in front of a truck and died, you, rather than think this was a display of love or righteousness or wisdom, you'd think the man was crazy causing unnecessary suffering for himself because it's only a display of love when the person doing the costly act does something that had to be done to save you and that you could not do for yourself. And so the cross then, this time of Good Friday when we look directly at the cross is such a, a wonderful demonstration of God's love. If it had been needless, then he would be showing himself as unloving 
and causing unnecessary suffering. In short, if God could have spared His own Son and still saved us, He would. But when God the Father in eternity past chooses freely and sovereignly to save and love sinners, then Christ's death is a consequent and absolute necessity, which makes it absolutely glorious. And it places the first cause, the primary cause of Good Friday and the the cross in the love of God, the Father. That's the cause. When He chooses to love, it becomes consequently absolutely necessary to send the Son to the cross on Good Friday. So I just want to look just a little bit more deeply at the, at the goodness of, of Good Friday and, and just turn to that text in Romans 3, and I won't look at all of it, but just picking it up from verse 23 and, and that uh, well-known text, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Friends, we really have no idea what we're talking about today when we talk about sin. We're like a filthy child sitting in a darkened room and we can't see the filth of our own sin and what it is. And sin is not merely what we do, it's what we are. We are sinful. I think if we really understood this, we'd want to hide ourselves not simply from God's punishment for sin, but from the shame of sin, from the shame of sin. You see, our culture, we don't blush anymore at sin. There's no shame, is there? Sin is so common on TV, in the movies, newspapers, magazines, music, internet. It's so common. It's in the air that we breathe. In the same way that you're breathing now, but until I just said it, you didn't even realize you were breathing. You're not conscious of it. All have sinned. All have sinned. We live in a culture where the moral revolution uh, means we are calling good evil and evil good. We approve of evil. We approve of abortion, of sexual promiscuity, of homosexuality and transgenderism. The culture believes, and even the visceral response of the church says, well, these things aren't too bad. In fact, the culture says they're morally good. There's no shame. There's no shame. There's no blushing before God. Instead, sin is flaunted. It's about what we want and what we desire. All have sinned. And sinners must be called to repent of their sins. But also, listen carefully here, religious people need to be called to repent of their religion. Many preachers will call the sinners, the so-called sinners, to repent, but not the religious the fornicators, adulterers, liars, thieves, and, and the like, they're called to repent of their sin, but not the religious person who thinks they're saved because they come to church, maybe this church, every week, tick off a sermon, read the Bibles, pray and fast even, but rely on all of those good works and not Christ for their justification before God. And that might be a little uncomfortable for someone sitting here this evening. And the result is then that You see, unbelievers on the outside think Christians are just mean-spirited and self-righteous religious people who want them to become religious too. And the religious types will nod their heads and they'll clap when the sinners are called to repentance. But they never think that they should repent. 
We look at the culture and point a finger out there. But what about us in here? We point at the culture and like the Pharisee in Luke 18, we say, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. And of course, Jesus tells the story that in that case, it was the sinner, the tax collector, who fell upon the Lord saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Only he and not the Pharisee went away justified. As one preacher said, true gospel preaching will not divide people into sinners and righteous, but rather into the repentant and the unrepentant. So the question is today, are you repenting of your sin? Because all have sinned and all need to repent. Because we're all ungodly and all fall short of the glory of God. We're ungodly, you know. Um, That's the biggest and first problem. Many people that think that sin is just what we do and maybe that we're unrighteous. But first it's that we're ungodly. You see in chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul says, the wrath of God is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He places ungodliness first in the order because man has a heart set against God. We are ungodly. We are not towards God. So the thing is that not that you've just done a few sins, as everyone will admit. The thing is, people have never done anything else but sin because they're ungodly. And only a person who's had their heart turned towards God through faith in Jesus is able not to sin, though never perfect in his life. All have sinned, Paul says. Yes, because you broke God's law, and more because we rebelled against him, the one who made the law. Because God is not a law, he is a person. Sin is a relational issue before it is about breaking rules. It is a relational issue. So all fall short of the glory of God. God made us for his glory, friends. You want to know what your purpose is this evening? It is to live for God's glory. He made you for his glory. It is our duty, therefore, as his creatures to live for his glory by loving and trusting and obeying him. But we fall short of the glory of God through sin. This is what it means to fall short of the glory of God. God offers us the glory, the glory of his beauty and strength and generosity and his wisdom for our enjoyment. And we we look at it and we, we go, nah, and we fall in love with the things he has made instead. We fall short. And, and, and we're made for God and his glory to glorify him. And you know what we do? We actually want to discredit God. If there is a God, some will say, he's unjust. Well, why does he allow suffering in this world? Look at all the suffering out there. The problem is not why God allows suffering. The bigger problem is How is there any good at all in this world? Why hasn't he destroyed the world already? Now, friends, is the day of mercy because he will certainly judge sin. We are ungodly, but our biggest problem is not that we are ungodward or that we are against God, but that God is against us. God is against us. The wrath of God is upon us. 
The judgment of God finally is coming, and those who mock that truth will soon have to face it. God cannot and will not overlook sin, and He will not let any one of us off, because if He is to be a righteous and holy God and a righteous, just judge, He must do it. He must punish sin. A judge who lets off the man who murders your family is an unjust judge and is not merciful at all. God is just, and vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that's why we need the goodness of Good Friday. And so Paul continues in Romans 3, and he says, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Justified. God, in His mercy, has justified men. He has declared them righteous. Not made them righteous in and of themselves, but, but put them into a right relationship with Himself. Justification is a legal term. So legally, in the courts of God, we can be accepted because of Jesus Christ. On the cross, on Good Friday, Christ's righteous life is credited, or um, the, the theological term would be imputed to us and becomes ours. But also, our sin and guilt is credited or imputed to Christ and becomes His. So Christ is legally declared guilty in God's court, and He is treated so. And we are legally declared innocent and treated so. It's an irreversible one-time decision. Justified. The person who places their faith in Jesus is justified instantly. Not guilty. Not guilty is the verdict for that person because guilty was the verdict placed on Christ as He became that person's substitute on the cross on Good Friday. That's what it took for our justification, and that is why it was necessary, absolutely necessary, for God not to spare Him, but to give Him up for us all. You see, we need a perfect righteousness from God, one that we can't achieve and one that comes from outside of ourselves. So God becomes a man, and the God-man, Jesus Christ, loves God wholeheartedly, never sins in thought, word, or deed, never a, a sinful attitude, never a sinful word. And then He stands in the place of sinners on the cross as both the representative of man and the sin-bearing substitute for man. And so then it is right for God to punish Christ in our place. And people think, well, that's not a right thing. No, it is right for God to punish Christ in our place. Why? Because He became legally responsible for our debt, even though He did not accrue it. If Christ is not legally guilty, we cannot be legally justified, you see. But remember, that it's not Christ's own guilt that he's guilty for. And it's not our righteousness that we're declared righteous by. It's a legal exchange. Just as you can maybe imagine, a husband might become 
legally responsible for his wife's debt, when he marries her, it is right then that he pays, even though he did not accrue that debt. By trusting in Jesus, we become united to him. And so it is right that Christ paid, and God can justly punish Christ in our place. That's why Good Friday is good. Friends, Good Friday is about a just and justifiable justification. But it's also about a justification that is a gracious gift. And so Paul says, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Justification is by grace as a gift. By grace as a gift. I thought grace was a gift and maybe a gift was grace. Yes. I think Paul's repeating himself as if he wants to get it through our heads. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's grace. It's a gift because we find it hard to accept grace because pride gets in our way, doesn't it? We like to think we're not weak. We don't want to be a charity case. We think there's some good in us that we can contribute But Paul says it's a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't add to it. And you're lost without it. You need the gift of the grace of justification. And it's free grace. It's a gift. You know what you need to do? Receive the gift. Receive the gift by faith. It's interesting that this this phrase in the Greek, as a gift is the same phrase used in John 15 and verse 25 when John quotes from the Psalms and says, it says in the Psalms, they hated me without a cause. That phrase, without a cause, means freely, like a gift, freely, for no reason. Nothing conditioned them to hate Jesus. There was no reason in Jesus that caused the hate. Jesus didn't deserve their hate. Paul uses this word in the same way. We are justified by grace as a gift, without a cause. There is nothing in us that that caused or moved God to justify us. We are ungodly, unrighteous. We don't deserve His grace. It is freely given. He did it because He did it. He did it because He chose to love. Justification is by God's grace is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift, friends. It's a gift. And so you begin to see the wonder of the cross on Good Friday. It is not your great love for Christ that propels you forward in the Christian life. It is His great love for you. If He loved you without a cause, if He loved you enough to die for you, then there is nothing you can do to make Him love you more or that nothing you can do would make him love you any less for the rest of your life. He is not conditioned by your love for him. He never was. His his unconditional, gracious love for you. So never make your own mind the measure of what God can do in your lives or the lives of others. Look at the measure of his grace. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Why is Good Friday good? Because God is love. And the greatest display of His gracious, unconditional love is sending Christ, His Son, to justify undeserving sinners as a gift. As a gift. As a gift. And so Paul continues, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
We talk about being redeemed by Christ, don't we? We sing songs about redemption, but what does it mean? Justification is a legal term. Redemption is a, a commercial or marketplace term. It refers to buying something back, even a price that would have been paid for slaves. What do you think it means that when God thinks of redemption, it means this, he did not spare him, but he gave him up for us all. That's what it means. It means what Paul the Apostle says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When we talk about redemption as buying back the freedom of slaves in the marketplace, they are, if you like, in a sense, innocent victims. But when Christ redeems us, He purchases criminals, guilty, cursed people. In fact, He has given up for us it says. In Galatians, that same phrase is used. He became a curse for us. In other words, on our behalf, in our place, as our substitute. Friends, we need a redemption because we are slaves to sin and Satan. We need redemption because we are cursed as a result of God's judgment. So Christ became a curse for us. When you think of a curse, um, you probably think of maybe new agey, witch-like, voodoo-like hex, you know, a curse, I curse you. Um, gypsies in the UK, the, 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 the kind of uh, traveler folk, they would, you know, you often see them at the, the, the older lady at the um, train stations and she's selling uh, clover, you know, leaves, leaves of clover and gets a few pounds for them and my mum would always say when I was young, you better buy that offer or else she'll curse you. It's not good theology from my mum. <laughs> but popular TV series, movies like Harry Potter, they reinforce, they reinforce that kind of thinking about curse. A lot of superstitious animistic religions, it's very prevalent in that around the world. But Paul is thinking of the cross in Old Testament terms and Old Testament language. And and he's quoting from Deuteronomy in Galatians where God says to Israel, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. And then he basically says, If you keep my law, I will bless you. If you don't, I will curse you. Listen to a few of these curses from Deuteronomy and the Lord's promise here. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusions, and frustration in all that you do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of all the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Stand up, sit down, go away, stay home. You've got cursed wives, cursed businesses, cursed fields, cursed families, cursed descendants, cursed generations, every aspect of life under the curse for disobedience to God. And then he contrasts that with the blessings, all these blessings in Deuteronomy 28, which can be summed up in Numbers 6, 
and the Aaronic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, this was the most loving thing a fellow Jew could say to another. The Jews were, were, were pilgrims, they're looking for a, a better country, a, a city whose builder was God. They lacked stability and permanence. They wanted to be kept by God. And yet the blessing even more was that they would see God's face, make His face shine upon you. Proximity to God was the greatest blessing for the Jew. This is the supreme hope for all of us. Theologians call it the visio Dei to see Him, to see His face. We shall be like Him, John says, because we shall see Him face to face in 1 John 3, verse 2. Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And God is basically saying to Israel in the Old Testament, I set before you my blessing and my curse, my presence or my absence. The problem is that everyone is under the curse why? Because all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so redemption means that Jesus became a curse and pays the price so that we could be blessed. This is what God thinks of when He thinks of redemption. The cost of His Son who became a curse and bled for people like us who don't even real, realize the meaning of the term. Oh, we need to see what price was paid on Good Friday. See what kind of love this is. See the Son of God in your place, cursed on that tree. See God the Father looking upon Him and saying, I curse you. And the Father looking upon you and saying, and because of that, I bless you. He treats His Son like we should be treated. And He treats us like His Son. You see, one of the great truths and one of the great goodnesses of the goodness of Good Friday is that Jesus Christ doesn't acquit the guilty and let guilty people go. He redeems the guilty and lets justified people go. So there is no condemnation. Now, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are legally justified. Redemption has been paid. Justification has been made. This is how you know the atonement was necessary. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What a cost. You don't pay that kind of price unless it is absolutely necessary. And so Paul goes on in Romans 3, speaking of Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Jesus was a propitiation. Justification, a legal term. Redemption is a marketplace term. And propitiation is a temple term, a, a term of sacrifice and substitution. He was a sacrifice once for all as the substitute for sinners. But in what way does he sacrifice and substitute? You see, the big question of the Bible is how can a just God and a holy God dwell with wicked people? Proverbs 17, verse 15 says, He who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So how can God justify the wicked? How can God be just and justify the wicked? 
And the Father can't justify people unless His justice has been satisfied. And so we see that propitiation is at the heart of why we can be justified. That's why Jesus sweated blood, you know, in Gethsemane. It wasn't the whip or the nails or the pain of the cross that he was reviled by. It was absorbing the Father's wrath. It was propitiating his Father. No one else could do it. That's why God didn't spare him. Infinite wrath is poured out on the God-man, Jesus Christ. And you say, how can one man absorb God's infinite wrath upon so many people when he suffered for only a few hours? Ah, because of the infinite value of that man. He's the God-man. He's worth more than all the people who ever lived or will live. He's worth more than mountains and oceans and all the riches the world has ever known. He's worth more than angels and archangels and seraphim as we speak myriads upon myriads are worshipping him and they fall down before him in heaven still singing about his worth because of what he did on the cross. Worthy are you, Pastor Josh's text, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. On the cross, on Good Friday, Jesus the Son takes the cup of God the Father's wrath and he drinks it down to the dregs and he turns it upside down and he says, it is finished. It is empty. It is finished now, Father. I have satisfied your justice, the demands of your law in keeping it and the demands of your law for breaking it. And now, Father, you can rightly justify your people. The Father looks upon the Son and says, I am satisfied. You are my beloved Son with whom I am satisfied. And you please me. Those for whom you died will be accepted by me forever. There is no more wrath left for them. It is exhausted. No condemnation. The Father poured out his wrath on the Son and the Son exhausted it. It is a self-satisfying self-propitiation that only a triune God could plan and accomplish. The Father crushes the Son, but Jesus is no victim on the cross. He actively propitiates his Father's wrath. He actively goes to the cross, so both the Father and the Son are willing participants in the drama of Good Friday so that the love of God saves sinners from the wrath of God. Remember, Jesus doesn't make an angry father love us. Jesus is the love provision of the loving father who already chose us and sent his son to die for us. Notice that little phrase back in verse 25, whom God put forward. God the Father placarded Christ the Son on the cross as a public display. Why is that? Paul tells us. This was to show, verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, God in his patience had passed over sins 
The sacrificial system was set up to point to the one true sacrifice, Jesus Christ, because the blood of bulls and goats would never satisfy God's justice. Only the blood of His Son could do it. So God displays God at Calvary in the self-satisfying propitiation of the Father by the Son so that He might be just and the justifier of all who will turn away from self-justification, that is, looking at your own good works or blaming others for your faults, and throw yourself on Christ alone in faith. So, friends, as we close, the goodness of Good Friday is based on the Father's love in Christ the Son, who stood in the place of sinners at Calvary so that sinners can stand in the presence of God in heaven. Legally justified because Christ became legally guilty for us. Blessed by Him because Christ became a curse for us. An exhausted divine wrath that we deserve. That is grace. It is a gift. It is a gift. And it's the greatest display of the love of God in the universe as God puts Himself on show at Calvary. And that is why in the darkness of Good Friday... Friday was good. Let me ask you, when were you saved? Do you remember the year? Can you remember the date? I praise God for the application of that salvation. But remember, the accomplishment of that salvation happened on the cross on Good Friday. Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. So in conclusion, friends, if you've if you've repented and placed your faith in Christ, then God is for you forever. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, now listen, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So who can be ultimately against you? And so when Satan this week tempts you to despair, when he says you're not saved, you've not performed well this week, you've sinned, you can tell him to go back to hell from where, where he belongs. Because you are legally, perfectly, unchangeably justified. You can boast in that. You have a right to heaven. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation. And there is now also no separation. No condemnation. No separation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not sickness, not suffering, not Satan. And you can love your enemies now and you can pray for those who persecute you because you know that justice will be done either in hell or on the cross. And we do not need to be vengeful people. We need to be people to have the pity of Christ himself for those who are unsaved and even for one another as we sin against each other. Friends, you'll never find a love like this anywhere else, not in a spouse, not in a friend, not in a family. So let this love, this love of Good Friday, spur us on to love and obey Him and to love one another and also to tell others of this love. If you're not a Christian here today and you want to know more, just let me ask you, why resist this love? It's your greatest need. On Good Friday, on the cross, Jesus said it is finished. The Father is satisfied and sinners are saved. And three days later, he rose from the grave and his resurrection proves that Friday was really good. 
and we look forward to Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we did give you praise and honor and glory for your great love displayed at Calvary. We thank you for the beauty and wisdom, the justice and mercy of the cross. And I pray this evening that you would do a mighty work by your Holy Spirit, that we would see Christ for who he is, that we would, we would cling to him by faith in him alone for our salvation. Make it so, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond once more in song. What kind of love are we dealing with, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? In your mind's eye, do you go to Calvary? Do you go to Good Friday? Do you look up and do you see his blood pouring down for you? You should do that. You should do it now. And as you do it, just hear these words from the Gospel of John. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When you read those words, see Jesus say, It is finished for you. It is done for you. Go in peace. You're dismissed. We look forward to Sunday. When he is risen, we celebrate that good news then. Great.